This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm Jim Dudley. Hey, we've talked about vicarious traumas witnessed by public safety personnel and not many in the profession of law enforcement join with the intent of being a mental health counselor to those on the street. Well, then you may be interested in what they're doing in Colorado. Aurora, Colorado has a series of programs that takes the pressure off law enforcement officers and pairs them with civilian mental health clinicians. Courtney Tosson, LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor, is the Crisis Intervention Program Manager for the City of Aurora, Colorado, where she oversees mental health and emergency services programs, collaborations to include an alternative response, law enforcement co-response, targeted violence prevention program, and a cold weather emergency activation team. Prior to this role, she served three years on the Aurora Police Department's co-responder model, the crisis response team, and then was chosen to build the city's first alternative response model, the Aurora Mobile Response Team. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Courtney Tossen. Nailed it. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. No, great to have you. And I'm sorry, I if you see the way Courtney's name is spelled, it is counterintuitive that that's the way it sounds, but I'm with you. You have three main components to your programs, Courtney. Tell us about the Aurora Mobile Response Team, would you? Sure. So we do. We offer three different major programs and they offer a continuum of care or a spectrum of care for the citizens of Aurora. So our lowest, least intense tier would be our Aurora mobile response team. So with that, we partner with our ambulance provider for the city, which is a private contract. And we pair mental health professionals from UC Health, which is a hospital system here where we provide or where we get our clinicians. So the mobile response team, they ride around in like a white Ford Transit van. So I don't know if you're familiar with CAHOOTS or this Denver Star program, very similar model to that. We do have our own little nuances and differences, of course, but this team is going on anything and everything. The only disqualifying criteria would be if there is active violence towards self, others, or property, mentioned weapons, or some sort of necessary criminal action that needs to take place. So this team's going on, you know, suicide threats where someone just really needs support and resources. They're going on a trespass call where maybe it's someone who's unhoused and just needs somewhere else to go. The main goal of this program is mitigating maybe lower level charges like trespassing and diverting people away from those emergency departments or emergency rooms by utilizing those lower levels of care, like resolving it on scene, taking them somewhere else or going to what we have here, the walking crisis centers. Yeah, so so those are mostly nonviolent or non-aggressive calls. Cahoots is up in Oregon, I believe, and they've had a lot of success for more than a decade. Yeah, absolutely. And so something that we really wanted to do with this program, because, you know, initially it was framed very poorly. Um, you know, it was very political and how it kind of came to be. 
But what we wanted to make sure was that it was very integrated within the emergency services system. It was not an or to policing, but an and. This was a way to expand the capacity of the department. So we gave them an MDC you know, or you know, the police computers where they could see the dispatch calls coming through. They have police radios, they were professed. They get trained by our SWAT team on scene safety and situational awareness and same with like blood, um, blood control, bleeding control. They get all this training. And the whole goal is for them to be kind of integrated into the police department as a partner, as opposed to you're coming and trying to tell us we're bad at our jobs. And it was so funny because that was like the biggest piece of success for me was in the first six months of the program, officers requested them 108 times. They wanted them to come to the scene and take that call away from them. And it was such an awesome thing to see because, you know, I was working in the police department prior to that. And that was my biggest fear was that the officers were going to be so opposed to it and they were going to hate it. They loved it and they embraced them. And now they like will joke with them on scenes or, you know, if they're on a scene, they have their own call. Officers will drive by just to make sure they're okay and wave at them. And it's like a big brother kind of thing. It's really cute actually. And they just welcome them with open arms. And I think that speaks truly to the culture of the Aurora Police Department. They were so open to having this other model of handling calls. And we know across the country, we're seeing a staffing crisis. This helped alleviate so many of the lower level calls that officers really aren't needed for when we have shootings and stabbings happening in the city at the same time. So it was really great to see, you know, how well it kind of took off. Yeah, and I think that's a great distinction when when creating the program that, you know, the co-responder um, teams um, sort of dispel any rumors or myths about a program where officers can see firsthand what you're doing, as opposed to somebody saying, okay, we're going to replace your response with this. And then I think cops are, are happy to grab a box of popcorn and sit back and watch it unravel. Uh, great. Um, uh, strategy in in the way you've introduced it there in Aurora. Can you talk about the crisis intervention teams, uh, something that most of our listeners are familiar with? Sure. So the next step up or like in our tier of care would be our crisis response team. So that is the very traditional co-responder model where we pair a mental health professional and an officer who is CIT trained or crisis intervention team trained. And they are riding in the patrol car 40 hours a week together. We call it work married because you see you see them more than you probably see your actual partner. And they are responding to, again, any and every call that comes through the 911 or non-emergency system. And the main kind of calls they go on, um, just because it happens to pan out this way, suicide threats, welfare checks, and then behavioral calls. And that can kind of be a catch-all often. So this team actually started back in 2018 and started, I think, with just a program manager and a sergeant, and then has grown now to five teams total with an addition of a case manager. So someone who can do all of that follow-up on the back end. We find that the follow-up piece is really helpful and kind of important when we're creating you know, this continuum of care. We're also preventing future crises, hopefully, right? So this team, very similar to the mobile response team, first responder and a clinician working together. Again, sometimes we have very different views on things, but overall it works really well. Our crisis response teams have uh, like a set partner every single day. So they're not hopping in with patrol. We have this dedicated special unit 
which is really great because our officers have to apply and interview to be a part of the team, hmm. which helps us make sure that we're giving the right response to the citizens, right? We don't want that salty officer who is just ready to kick the call and go or punt it to the next person. Our teams, because they're a special unit, can take the time that it requires on some of these calls. Because as you guys know, like crisis calls can be three hours sometimes, depending on the situation. Mm. If it's a barricaded suspect or if it's someone who is on top of a bridge or a parking garage, those are the calls we have to take a little more time with. And because this team is a special unit, they are afforded that time. So when you talk about five teams, can you give us a little context about population of Aurora, how many cops you have, and if there's an estimate number of homeless or people in crisis there? Yeah, so Aurora is a population, I think of about 300,000. It might be a little bit more now in the last few years. We have about 760 sworn total. So five is not much when you consider the grand scheme of things. I think of that, about 235 of those are patrol and the rest are, you know, investigative units, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then the unhoused population is significant, but certainly less than Denver. As far as like an actual number, I'm not entirely sure, but city of Aurora only has one shelter in the entire city. And Aurora is one of the biggest cities in all of Colorado, as far as square foot wise or square mileage. So it spans really far and it's kind of spread out. There's a lot of like really rural parts and then a little more urban parts. We have Colfax Avenue. That is one of the longest highways, I guess, in the U.S. And that is where a very large portion of our, um, you know, homeless and unhoused population Mm -hmm. lies. We are a resource desert. When we look at Denver, I always joke that Aurora is kind of like Denver's uglier sister who just didn't get the same opportunities. So we have to rely on, you know, Denver a lot to get people the resources they need. Hmm. Okay. So uh, what's the been the feedback uh, across the teams by from police officers? There's a saying that police, police officers don't like two things. One is change and the other is the way they are. So wh- how's the transition been uh, from strictly patrol to introducing the teams? I think in the very beginning of these programs, there was, of course, the hesitation, right? You're always hearing, oh, well, the social workers are going to get shot. The social workers are going to get stabbed. It's a great idea until that. And I understand. I hear what you're saying. I hear the feedback. But we also, we as clinicians walk into this knowing that the danger is there, just like officers walk in every day knowing today might be the day that I'm in a critical incident. Mm. We as therapists within this specific field know. You know, we walk in every day, we put our bulletproof vest on, we put our radio on, we get in the car prepared. You know, we've gone through the training, we've received, you know, the feedback from officers as far as safety and how to keep ourselves safe and then not be a liability to our partner. That's something that's really important to us. I don't want to step into the scene thinking I can be helpful if I'm truly going to take away the officer's safety that's needed to do it safely or effectively. So I think in the very beginning, we saw some of the pushback, but as time goes on, we can't go five minutes without our team being called or requested because we're a special unit. We're called David units on the road. Officers or patrol will get there and be like, isn't there any available David unit? To the point that our team has like a trauma response when everyone's like, is there any available? And it's like CSI. 
it's not even us, but we're just like prepared <laughs> to go because that's how often they request us, which is awesome. That's what we want. In one day, we had one officer get requested 15 times. And of course, he's one officer. He couldn't do it all. Because we're such a small team, you know, comparatively of what we're seeing across the city as far as mental health calls, we only have like one officer per shift. So we work, you know, Sunday or we work Monday through Wednesday. Sorry, Monday through Thursday. We just changed the schedule. Monday through Thursday and Wednesday through Saturday. We have an 8 to 6 and a 12 to 10 shift. So that's only one officer on each. And then we have our targeted violence prevention program that works eight to six on Monday through Thursday. And they're kind of primarily office-based, but they do go out on the road too. But I think now, I mean, we're seeing them get requested and it's awesome. And they're ready to give them the call. Like they are so excited to have this resource that they keep asking me, when do I get more? When do I get more? I was like, I would love 20, but resources just don't give me that because of our staffing issues. Again, like what we're seeing across the country as far as law enforcement staffing. I've, I'm trying to con the department into giving me two more officers. We'll see if it happens. Um, but I would say right now, we're in a great spot. We're very supported, not only by patrol, but by the chief's office, by all of leadership and command, by our city council. In fact, recently our city council put forth some uh, kind of like points that they wanna make sure get hit within the city. And expanding the crisis response team and getting it fully staffed was a big part of that, which was awesome to see because it was the first time they really acknowledged that these programs were there. Um, so I think overall, just great. You know, like I'd mentioned with the mobile response team or the EMS approach, officers are requesting them to come take their calls from them, which is like the best thing ever for me. And they're allowing them to go on scenes by themselves, which I was worried about. I was worried police were just going to start showing up on all their scenes. It hasn't happened. I mean, every now and then again, they'll be like, hey, how's it going? Um, but then they'll leave because they trust them. They know they're safe. They know that they're making good decisions and they're using their best judgment before they make any kind of decisions. So I, I'm really thrilled at the kind of response and you know the feedback we have received. Great. That's awesome. Well, I want to get into more of your, your personal experience uh, with some of these situations, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. And we're back and I'm speaking to Courtney Tawson, the Crisis Intervention Program Manager for the city of Aurora, Colorado. Courtney, coming from a counseling background, um, you must have your your preconceived um, ideas about what goes on. When you started working with police, what was your big aha moment? What, what uh, did anything surprise you or did it just confirm what you'd always thought? Yeah, so I had started my career actually working within the prison system. So 
I'd always had an interest in kind of more forensic populations as we call them within the psychology world. So it wasn't something that was like scary or intimidating. In fact, you know, I went into grad school thinking that I wanted to do like prison reform and stuff like that. Well, then I was introduced to programs like this and I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. That's exactly what we should be doing. Like, and I just, I've always had a respect for law enforcement. I come from a really tiny town in Louisiana. So, you know, a lot of my friends' parents were law enforcement, their brothers were law enforcement. I grew up around it. So for me, it wasn't like a, you know, too much of a negative preconceived notion for me. But I found out that these programs existed. And for my master's program, we had to do an internship. And it wasn't on our like verified packet of internships that we could take. So I reached out to the state, the person who oversaw all these programs, and I sent her my resume and just said, hey, I'm looking for an internship. Can you please just send my information to everyone? And only one place got back to me, and that was Aurora, Colorado. So I actually started with the Aurora Police Department as an intern, um, which was really interesting. And, you know, I've grown so much since then. But initially I walked in and I was a little intimidated because, you know, the, the most I'd interacted with law enforcement outside of like friends and family was when I was getting pulled over for speeding. Um, they're not as bad here in Colorado pulling you over. I'm not, I don't want to jinx it, but in Louisiana, they'll get you for speeding. Um, yeah, so I walked into the station the first day and I was overwhelmed. You know, they're like, here's your bulletproof vest to put on. I was like, wow. And I would say the very first call I went on was actually a completed suicide, unfortunately. Mm. But being able to support the mother in that situation who had just lost her son was the big aha moment. Like, mm. wow, I can be here in the moment with this person in the comfort of their home, probably in the worst moment of their life. And I could see their rock bottom and I can provide support and resources right now with an officer who can take care of any of the criminal or you know formal actions that need to happen and then I can check on her in two weeks and maybe she's doing better now. That's what I really love about this specific field within psychology or counseling is I can see people at their absolute lowest and help get them to a point where maybe they can see past this moment. They can see past the darkness they're in right now. And when I check on them in two weeks, they're like, oh my gosh, Courtney, I got a job. I'm doing so much better. I'm going to get housing or, you know, I'm finally... I'm happy for the first time and I'm getting treatment and I'm getting medication. I'm, I think things are getting better. And of course there are times where people aren't doing better, right? And you keep having to interact with them in the emergency services space and they become high utilizers. But even so, it's great to see that burden being taken off of our officers. So now we have a team who can handle this. That way it's not causing this unnecessary burden on patrol who's having to run call to call to call and then there's 34 calls still impending mm. so i think that's the aha moment of like this is what emergency services should look like and i'm biased of course because i've been in the role but it's so great to have this additional branch because again for me it's not an or it's not it's police or this it's an and we all work together we all create this spectrum of care because i can't enforce any kind of criminal action i can't walk someone through what their rights are as a victim not a victim advocate so that was my big aha moment it's like wow this fits so nicely into the space of emergency services because when you think about it like if you call some sort of behavioral health center they say hang up and dial 911 if this is an emergency 
poor police officers. They're like, I didn't go to school for this. But now they're being asked to be social workers. They're being asked to be therapists. And it's just a burden that you shouldn't have to carry when you're also trying to make sure that the person who is shooting at his wife gets charged or the person who is committing felonies gets charged. Mm -hmm. And so you and your team, the non-sworn, you're responding to these calls for service. And some of them are just as you just described, right? They're just so sad sometimes. Uh, what are you doing for yourself and, and, and the non-sworn members? Are you having after action debriefs? Are you having retreats? What's going on there? Absolutely. So something that we really make a priority is that after everyone's first, because inevitably it becomes, everyone has a critical incident. And I don't mean critical incident like an OIS or a shooting things like that, but you know, someone's first completed suicide that they go on. We always do a pretty big formal debrief with you know, the UC health supervisors, myself, maybe an officer supervisor if needed, um, but we talk through it and we just kind of make space for the processing to happen. And sometimes people aren't very talkative processors. I know I'm not, I'm not someone who talks it through immediately. I've got to kind of sit and think about it. But we offer the support and we say, you know what, we've been there. It really sucks. And we just hold the space. And then we also talk through what resources are available, both through the hiring agency, UC Health, but also through the police department. Our clinicians do have access to our wellness unit and are able to kind of participate in that way. Because when you get into the space, you do become a first responder. And there's not a lot of therapists in the private practice world who are kind of culturally competent within the first responder realm. So we're giving them an idea of what the resources are. We let them know if you want to take the rest of the day off, we're fine with that. Do what you need to do. And a lot of them are like, nope, I feel fine. Like, yeah, it sucks, but I'm ready to go back in and, you know, finish out the day. And sometimes there are people like, yeah, that was kind of rough. Like hearing the mom being that upset, it really got to me and I'm, I am going to take the day off. Thank you. And then if something happens, you know, kind of as a team, especially a really big event, like a while back, we had one of our crisis response teams heading to a hotel where it was a barricaded suspect. He'd set things on fire and it actually, um, right as our team got there, he had charged at the officers with a knife and of course ended in um, lethal force. So while our clinician wasn't on scene watching it because she was parked, I think a while or a little bit away, the officer had parked a little bit of ways, we still had that really big debrief as a team of like, you know, what happened, X, Y, Z, just talk through it. And I think that's really important when you're doing this kind of work. And I think officers can kind of get in the habit of brushing it off and then going to the next call. But that debrief is so important. Even in the cars between our officer and clinician and our EMT and clinician, we encourage them to debrief after every call. Hey, what do you think went well? Hey, what do you think wasn't so great. Is there anything that you saw that I was doing that was unsafe? Is there anything that, you know, I felt that maybe you said that kind of backtracked us? Little things like that. And that's to help with the partnership, but also the processing of the trauma that comes with being a first responder. Yeah, absolutely. That's great that you have that sort of follow-up care for your own people. You must be making relationships with the officers that you're writing with and talking with every day. Um, they must receive some sort of benefit from having you guys to bounce things off of as well. I would say yes. It's so funny because when I first started, I was paired up 
um, with an officer. And after some time, I could see, I'm like, you could do an assessment just as well as I can. And so if our clinicians are out, you know, we know that these officers are going into the community, even if they're by themselves, offering still a better level of care or a more informed level of care to the people they're responding on. They learned about the resources in the area. They learned about the questions to ask and how to build rapport even better. And again, they're all CIT trained, but they're like CIT on steroids after riding with a clinician for so long. That's great. That's great. And I'm sure the officers personally benefit from, from having someone like you talk after, especially after a, a, an incident that might involve, um, you know, a child or some other trauma that, uh, they're probably better off with you than without. Yeah, it's like forced therapy all the time because they can't get away from us because we're also in the car. No, That's we definitely try and be that supportive means, um, you know, when it's appropriate, right? If if it's something we need to refer to our wellness unit, of course we do, but we try and be that in the moment support for officers too. You know, I can remember a scene where it was a child death and it was really awful. And there was of course a ton of patrol there and we responded knowing there's not much we can do, but we can at least check in on people, make sure, hey, you're doing okay. We were able to be there and provide support for the mom until victim services got there. So we try and keep our scope, you know, obviously detailed and focused in on the people we're serving in the community, but also our partners within public safety. So our EMTs and our officers. Mm -hmm. That's great. Hey, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up, but I'm, I just want to ask you the, the house cleaning uh, question about tracking data. Um, how long has the program been going on? How long have you been tracking the data and have you seen any significant outcomes since you started? Yeah. So the crisis response team, so the law enforcement model has been around since 2018. And then the alternative response or the mobile response team has been around since 2021. We do track a bunch of different matrices. The biggest things we're looking at is, are we keeping people out of jail and are we keeping people out of the emergency rooms? Mm. So like we have psychiatric holds that we call an M1 here, you know, California calls it a 5150. It's different everywhere. Um, we wanna make sure that people are getting the help they need, but they're not clogging up the emergency departments. And that became especially important during COVID times, right? Because now it's dangerous to go to the hospital for a lot of people. So whenever we're looking at that, we were able to determine that through all of the calls we've had, which for the crisis response team has been over 7,000 since the inception of the program, which again, started as an officer or a sergeant and a program manager and very gradually built up to five officers. We just got five in the last two years, I think. So very small team to do 7,000 calls. That's awesome. I think 80% of those were all resolved on scene. Less than 1% have gone to jail. And I think around 15 or so percent were going to the emergency rooms. We had a cost reallocation of around $3 million by diverting people away from the emergency departments. So that's cost savings for the person themselves that you know is in crisis, but also the hospital system because it's expensive to have to care for someone. You know, you've got staffing, resources, all kinds of stuff. So that's pretty significant that we can, that's like one of the main significant things that we really talk about. And then our mobile response team, it's only been around since 2021. So obviously a lot shorter of a time, but for them, very similar demographics, obviously, I think 
0.003% have gone to jail. And it was because officers came on after and someone that they responded on wanted to file a police report. Like, and the person outside of that got arrested. So it wasn't even the person they were responding to. Um, I think they were able to mitigate like 10 or 12 people's charges for trespassing by getting them somewhere safe in the community. And they also had around $300,000 of cost reallocation from the emergency departments. So in the short little time that they've been around, and that's just one team, not even like two, just one team, they've been on over 600 calls since the time. So I'm really proud of the work they're doing. We're tracking a lot of stuff, um, things that are important to us to prove the efficacy of these programs. Another one of the biggest ones is use of force data, because that's what everyone's worried about and everyone's concerned about, right? Mm. Very proud to say, and knock on wood, we've had zero lethal munitions deployed by our officers for our crisis response team. So none of them have ever had to fire their duty weapon. Um, whether that's luck or whether that's skill, I'm going to hope it's skill, but sometimes we know it's luck, right? But that alone, I think, is a really awesome statistic to say. I think we've had maybe 1% or maybe 2% of our calls have had some sort of level of use of force. Um, and for us, the tier levels for force are a little funky, but we look at tier like two and above. So that's like tasers, batons, stuff like that, and up, obviously. Sure. Well, that noise you heard was me knocking wood for you to keep the street going. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm gonna hey, thank, thanks so much, Courtney, for being on the show. Crisis Intervention Program Manager for the City of Aurora, Colorado. Courtney Pawson. And uh, Courtney's got an interesting background. You can check it out in show notes. Maybe that's a maybe we need to talk about another show about your work in counterterrorism and working for the Department of Homeland Security's National Threat Evaluation and Reporting Program. But that's another show. Where can our listeners find out about what you're doing with crisis intervention and these um, these teams that are going out in the field in Aurora? Yeah, so we have a, a website for both of our programs, the law enforcement and the EMS model. They're really long links or they're really long um, web addresses. So I'll send that to you to put in the show notes. But if you Google Aurora Colorado Police Department mental health resources, you'll find the one for the crisis response team. And if you type in Aurora Gov Colorado backslash mobile response, you will find, or sorry, auroragov.org backslash mobile response, you'll find our civilian led model. Great. Hey, thanks so much for what you're doing and continued good success for you. Take good care. Thank you so much. Hey, and to our listeners, check out Courtney's uh, website and some of the things they're doing in Aurora, Colorado. I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you about starting your own program or tweaking it and uh, sharing some of their successes. Uh, why reinvent the wheel? Hey, let me know how we're doing and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you have some comments or ideas about a future show, drop me a line at policingmatters at policeone.com, policingmatters at policeone.com. Stay safe and I hope to talk to you again real soon. Take good care. I'm Jim Dudley. <laughs>